Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audio Cast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 12, Issue Number 33, for the week of August 1, 2022. And this episode happens to correspond with COVID update number 67. We're going to get into the quick hits, also a discussion of the book Wastelands, and uh, a little bit of recipe. So, what's happening in the world of COVID? Not a whole lot has changed in the past couple of weeks. North Carolina continues to look like it's in a pre-pandemic state with packed restaurants and concerts. And for me, this makes a lot of sense based on the hospital numbers and disease morbidity currently. I personally have been out to many restaurants and many concerts um, with lots of screaming and yelling. And uh, I don't have much fear right now, having personally had COVID a couple times and been doubly vaccinated. So at this point, you know, for me, I think we're as a country moving where we should be doing, unless we start to see an increase in significant volumes of hospitalization and death, we need to start normalizing life so that mental health, uh, the state of the country's economy, and many other big aspects of our lives that can be disrupted by many of the measures involved in pandemic uh, mitigation don't come back to play. COVID in kids seems to be a non-issue. It's mostly small colds. We're not seeing any MIS anymore uh, and not seeing any significant disease. North Carolina has about 5% of the admitted patients needing a ventilator and 11% needing an ICU, uh, which is still at very low levels compared to normal. Seven-day moving average of COVID patients, uh, positive rate testing is only between 100 and 130,000 and staying stable there. Now, this number far underrepresents what's really happening because most people are doing home tests now and not reporting them. So the volume of actual Omicron disease is much, much higher. Risk of death remains the same. Very, 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 very small if you've had natural infection or a two-dose series and don't have significant risk factors. Okay, let's get to the quick hits. So the new strain, Omicron, as of July 29th, has a variant split of 13% for BA.4, 82% for BA.5, and 5% for B2.1, 2.1. This COVID wave is in line with the volumes from wave three, which was Delta, and uh, hospitalization death is way lower. BA.5 will be the new player because it has found a way to immune evade and vaccine evade better than anything else. So it looks like it is going to be the player we're going to see for quite a while. Good news, no increase in morbidity from this Omicron variant. It's highly infectious, probably even more infectious than measles at this point. So from that perspective, realize that we are going to be dealing with, unfortunately, Omicron illness on and on and on. This week, I want to add a special focus to natural immunity versus vaccine-induced immunity. Before I go there, I'm not saying that vaccines were not incredibly useful against the COVID pandemic, and they did absolutely save countless lives. Vaccines remain a very important part of the future fight against COVID. However, the booster story remains solidly in the corner of the at-risk and not the rest based on many factors discussed here recently. What I'm now interested in discussing is the reality that natural infection and boosting are vastly different ways to deal with the remainder of the human existence with SARS-2. 
One major difference between intramuscular vaccination and a natural infection is development of nasal mucosal antibodies, which does not generally occur following vaccination. As SARS-2 is a respiratory virus, the more the naturally derived SARS-2-specific antibody presence around the portal of viral entry, the reduced disease risk overall. The current mRNA vaccine-induced antibody response is in the serum of the blood, which means that the virus has to reach the blood to activate the antibody to attack. This is much farther down the infectious process delaying viral killing at the innate immune level. Newer intranasal vaccines being looked at could bypass this issue. The rationale for the early mucosal immune response against SARS-CoV-2 starts with its entry and early replication in upper airway mucosal surfaces, especially in the nasopharynx. Upper airway antigenic priming gives rise to dynamic compartmentalized regional immune network based on the inter interactive specific mucosal immune innate and adaptive response in nasopharyngeal associated lymphoid tissue, inductive sites, and subsequently in remote effector sites. These include the tracheal bronchial epithelium, regional lymph nodes, and nearby secretory glands. Nasopharyngeal-associated lymphoid tissue is itself a compartment of organized mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue, which is by far the largest component of the entire immune system. Critical components of the airway mucosal immunity network, which play a key role in fighting SARS-CoV-2, include mucosal immunoglobulins, especially secretory IgA, and tissue-resident memory cells of the T and B cell lineage. They are components of local adaptive immunity, and then mucosa-associated invariant T cells, mucosal complement activation, and mucosal interferons. All of these are components of local innate immunity. This comes to us from Matshu Ansky et al. 2021, M-A-T-U-C-H-A-N-S-K-Y. Natural infection provides a much better route to transmission protection than intramuscular systemic vaccination because of the induction of mucosal immunity via IgA and tissue resident T cells. That comes to us from Tang et al. 2022. If you can tolerate a natural infection without much morbidity, this seems to be a reasonable choice at this time. This is especially important now that we have immune escaping variants of the Omicron lineage and the really, the reality, I mean, of the current vaccine booster pool is lackluster in its effect on transmission. This calculus may change dramatically with a newer Omicron BA.5 specific vaccine that is in the works. In a few weeks, I'm going to sit down with Dr. Paul Offit to discuss these issues further. Stay tuned. All right, quick hit number one. Protection of natural infection against reinfection wanes and may diminish within a few years. Viral immune evasion accelerates this waning. Protection against severe reinfection remains very strong with no evidence for waning, irrespective of variant, for more than 14 months after the primary infection. That comes from Kemetali et al. 2022, C-H-E-M-A-I-T-E-L-L-Y. These data sets were with pre-Omicron variants, thus making generalizability to today's variants difficult. However, the protection against severe disease appears to be solid in the Omicron arena based on what we're seeing in the hospitals currently. So this data is likely true. Two, in this study comparing the administration of COVID-19 vaxxer excuse me, COVID-19 mRNA booster vaccines alone, simultaneous administration of COVID-19 mRNA booster and seasonal influenza vaccines 
was associated with significant increases in reports of systemic reactions during zero to seven days following vaccination. These results may help better characterize the outcomes associated with simultaneous administration of COVID-19 booster and influenza vaccines in the U.S. population. House et al., HAUSE 2022. The data showed that combining the vaccines was more irritating to the vaccinee than the mRNA vaccine alone. The symptoms were very similar to those following dose number two of the mRNA vaccine, which included myalgias, arthralgias, headache, fever, and fatigue. There was no evidence that worse outcomes occurred having them together. So we may end up down the road still seeing combinations of COVID and influenza at the same time. Number three, in a really thoughtful article in the New York Times, there are more discussions on gain-of-function mutation research that remains ongoing by Dr. Eloa, E-L-O-I, in Paris in the BL, uh, excuse me, Biosafety Level 3 Biosafety Lab. They have been trying to force a furin cleavage site into a cousin of SARS-2. So far, so unsuccessful. Some are using this as proof that the lab leak theory is dead, others not so much. The debate continues. Either way, people vigorously disagree with this form of research as it could spar another pandemic. Zimmer, C, 2022. Along this same thought process, new reports have come out related to the Wuhan animal market as a possible ground zero for the pandemic. Quote, on December 31, 2019, the Chinese government notified the World Health Organization of an outbreak of severe pneumonia of unknown etiology in Wuhan, Hubei province a city of approximately 11 million people. Of the initial 41 people hospitalized with unknown pneumonia, January 2nd of 2020, 66% or 27 of them had direct exposure to the Hunan wholesale seafood market, hereafter known as Huanan Market. That comes from Warobi, W-O-R-O-B-E-Y et al. 2020. I am still yet unconvinced that this whole mess did not start in the BSL-4 lab that was right around the corner where they happened to be working on the specific gain-of-function mutations for this virus that we're seeing. If you go to Google Maps, the location of the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Huanan Market are only a few blocks from each other just across the Yangtze River. Coincidence? Who knows? Never going to be able to prove it, but fascinating stuff to pay attention to. Frankly, it doesn't really matter anymore anyway, because we are still here with SARS-2 in all its glory. Just interesting. For most of this topic, the podcast, you know, with Catherine Eban and Peter Atia is really solid and goes through a lot of the data to keep reinforcing some of the stuff that we're talking about. Number four. An important study looking at the cause of nerve system damage, again, points back to the immune system overreacting to the virus, leading to a lot of pathology. From the journal Brain, quote, all patients with multifocal vascular damage as determined by leakage of serum proteins into brain parenchyma, this was accompanied by widespread endothelial cell activation. Platelet aggregates and microthrombi were found adherent to the endothelial cells along vascular lumina. Immune complexes with activation of the classical complement pathway were found on the endothelial cells and platelets. Perivascular infiltrates consisted of predominantly macrophages and some CD8-positive T-cells. Only rare CD4-positive T-cells and CD20-positive cells were present. Astrogliosis was also prominent in the perivascular regions. Microglial nodules were predominant in the hindbrain, which were associated with focal neuronal loss and neuronophagia. Antibody-mediated cytotoxicity directed against endothelial cells is the most likely initiating event that leads to vascular leakage. 
platelet aggregation, neuroinflammation, and neuronal injury. Therapeutic modalities directed against immune complexes should be considered. End quote, Lee et al. 2022. Also from MedRxiv, we see a study led by Dr. Visser noting profound neuroinflammation in patients with post-acute COVID syndrome. These studies are all looking like they're going to be tied together over time with the pathophysiology. Inflammation and vascular leak are at the center of the damage that we see as brain, chronic brain fog, headache, insomnia, and all the other brain-related pathology following COVID. Could genetics be the key to not having to battle COVID yearly? Nope. So far, the research is showing that everyone is susceptible to SARS-2 viral illness with a wide variety of range based on symptomatology from the infection. Unlike HIV and malaria, where there are known genetic mutations that make the host resistant to the infection, SARS-2 does not appear to be in the same category. However, it is clear that there is a large subset of people that give minor to no symptoms despite being infected, and this is likely a combination of genetics and baseline health. To me, this is very, very important. Six, from JAMA. Among 902 study participants, 697 had confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection, including 351 children or older siblings, and 346 parents. Among 697 cases, 96.7% were asymptomatic or mild. Children had significantly higher spike regional binding domain, IgG titers, than older patients across all follow-up time points, with an overall median sera binding, uh, receptor binding domain, IgG titer, in patients younger than three, five-fold higher than adults. Longitudinal analysis of 56 study participants sampled at least twice during the follow-up period demonstrated the persistence of antibodies up to 10 months from infection in all age classes, despite a progressive decline over time. Children fare much better with SARS-2 and have demonstrated much better immune T and B cell activity across many epitopes post-natural infection than adults. They hold their long-term immunity well and almost all children are minimally symptomatic with reinfection. This begs the question of any vaccination need in this previously infected group moving forward unless we have the ability to really stem transmission. The main thrust of information remains that as a society, we should be promoting immune and gut health through diet, sleep, and stress reduction as discussed often here. That is the true route to health over time. This information was provided by Chiara, C-H-I-A-R-A et al. Number seven, increased blood volume in COVID hospitalized patients associated with mortality. Choi et al. 2022, C-H-O-I. The reasoning here is because the virus is triggering the innate immune system to inflame close to the local tissue where the virus is found, the secondary consequence of which is recruitment of cells to the area which include white and red blood cells. These cells raise blood viscosity volumetrically, which appears systemically over time. This is a test that could help predict worse outcomes in hospitalized patients. Number eight, from Scientific American, quote, SARS-CoV-2 may have come up with an ingenious workaround. It may completely do away with the molecular maneuverings needed to attach and no unlock to the cell membrane. Instead, it wields a blunt instrument in the form of a nanotube bridge or bridges that are cylinders constructed of the common protein actin that are no more than a few tens of nanometers in diameter. These tunneling nanotubes extend across cell-to-cell gaps to penetrate a neighbor to give viral particles a direct route into COVID-impervious tissues. 
This comes just from Pappas S. 2022. This is some truly incredible discovery. Working in the 10 to the minus 9th size is so remarkable for understanding, let alone the fact that the virus can engineer these nanotubes to travel through. Nature is amazing. And if SARS-2 starts to use nanotubes to keep impregnating cell upon cell upon cell, oh boy, we could be in for some trouble. But who knows? Just the evolution of virology. Just incredible. Number nine. In a study from the British Medical Journal, the meta-analysis noted that roughly 5-plus percent of patients having had COVID continue to have smell and taste dysfunction that shows no signs of returning to normal, Tandadol 2022. This is an unfortunate burden for these individuals as smell and taste are two of the five primary senses that help us navigate the world of food, toxins, danger, etc. Being able to smell or taste spoiled food, gas leaks, and other dangerous situations is critical. Section 2, Wastelands, a book review in the New York Times. Quote, North Carolina is in many ways the perfect setting for which to explore the real-life impact of concentrated animal feed operations, abbreviated CAFOs, and official term for modern-day livestock factories. In the early 1970s, North Carolina had about 18,000 hog farms, with an average herd of about 75 hogs. Today, it has only 2,000 hog operations, with herds as large as 60,000 hogs. The state's 9 million hogs annually produce from 3 to 10 times as much waste as New York City. But that hog waste isn't sent to high-tech treatment plants. It's pumped into large pools euphemistically called lagoons. Just one of those pools can hold enough waste to cover 15 football fields with crap a foot deep. And when lagoons are full, the untreated waste is sprayed onto nearby fields. Addison describes how giant spray guns shoot 200 gallons of waste per minute into the air. Noxious stuff with a strange muddy pink color to it. That tends to drift like a cloud on the breeze. The vast pools of waste emitted are terrible, overpowering smell. And the waste sprayed on fields often fell on the roofs of nearby houses. Addison writes, with, quote, the soft pitter-patter of rain. DNA tests revealed traces of hog excrement inside kitchens, on the surface of refrigerators, on top of stoves. It was a textbook case of environmental racism. After years of complaints to local and state authorities went unheeded, more than 500 neighbors of North Carolina CAFOs, almost all of them black, filed suits against the meatpacking company that seemed the worst offender, Smithfield Foods. Mona Lisa Wallace is the most sympathetic and compelling member of the legal team. Brilliant, indefatigable, raised in a small North Carolina town, with a working-class background dedicated to using the courts to help victims of corporate misbehavior. Among the plaintiffs, Elsie Herring, one of 15 children who left North Carolina for New York City and returned almost 30 years later only to find herself drenched in the misty rain of manure on a walkout near her family home. Stands out. This is a common and unfortunate story here in North Carolina, where it's hogs farms, chicken farms, or the DuPont Keymore spinoff company, North Carolinians have been subjected to much toxic corporate malfeasance at the cost of their health. This book, Wastelands, the documentary is The Devil We Know, Food, Inc., should be on your list to read and watch. Being informed about the toxic risks to you and your family remains an important path to staying healthy and living long. Toxins challenge the system to defy them, which over time damages mitochondria, cells, and health. Be aware, know, and then prevent. Recipe this week was white beans with bacon and herbs by Joe. Go to the newsletter link 
in SalisburyPediatrics.com and you can get access to the excellent recipes. Song of the Week, Let the Record Play by Moon Taxi, a really nice little song to listen to. Okay, folks, that's all this week. Have a great day. Remember to hug those kids. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this audio cast newsletter is for educational informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. It is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter does not constitute the formation or development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.